0: Let's get rolling. One thing that I did forget to mention, I wanted to point out you guys know that this week is the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation once again. And so that's an exciting thing. Um, As many of you guys know, but maybe you don't, when Israel became a nation, it started a time clock because it was prophesied that they would be a nation again um, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Bible experts would sit there and look at this and not sure what they would do with it because Israel had been disbanded. Never in the history of the world did a nation that was disbanded for literally a couple thousand years, I mean it was a long time, come back together to form a nation. And it took a couple wars to get there. But that's, that's unbel- that, is not the hand, or that is the hand of God, y'all. That does not just happen. And so the fact that that's their 70th anniversary is very exciting. Um, again, we're, you know, we don't know when the end will be, but we know that the clock has started based off of that. So definitely uh, something to celebrate. Um, as you guys know, we support Raleigh Morris. He's our Jewish missionary. He is still working on getting over there full time. And so he's got some things in the work right now, and I believe he is going over there again this summer uh, doing some different groundwork things, getting some stuff situated. He, uh, he's already got the plan on what he's going to do. You guys know he's a carpenter. He builds custom guitars. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he, do, he does uh, cabinetry and all of that st- too, but he also builds these custom guitars. It's called a Ruach Guitars. Okay. Ruach is the Holy Spirit is the Hebrew name for the Holy Spirit and stuff. And so that's going to be the front that he's going to work in Israel under. And actually it's, uh, it's pretty brilliant too, because nobody will suspect what he's doing. They don't, they don't favor well with people proselytizing Christianity there. So remember 10% at best are Orthodox Jews over there. And there's a high, high, high Muslim population, uh, but the gospel is spreading, and it is, is definitely something. And it's cool that we get to be a part of that. And then, uh, and, and you know, we're talking about Brian Young leading a tour over there and whatnot, so, you know, a couple years. So we might actually get to go over there and see it, so that would be, be pretty neat. So, well, I, as you guys know, we've been in this series called The New Man. We uh, had kind of a little lull there with with Easter and then also with Brian being here last week. But I want to kind of pick up where we left off because we began to discuss the concept of the authority of the believer. We introduced the idea. We didn't get too in-depth. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. But we have to understand that the positioning of the believer is God's hand and feet on this earth. And as you're going to see today, is that that comes not only with responsibility, but also we have a a role here to reign for Christ. We don't reign over people, we reign over spiritual forces. The spiritual forces are interacting with people. They influence them, if you will. So I want to start here. We started a series with these verses. I want to pick this up again because I want you guys to make sure we we always keep this as the forefront of our mind. It all starts. This new man isn't just something you just wake up one day yeah I think I'll go with that Christian stuff. That sounds like the better alternative than maybe some of the others. It talks about a commitment to God that your life has been crucified with Christ and now we are raised with him at the cross. So Colossians chapter 3 starting verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. Now why would Paul say that if it were not so it says if you were raised with christ that means that you may not have been okay not everybody gets in we have to make the decision to follow christ if you have been raised with christ seek those things which are above where christ is so where is christ he's above where at he's sitting at the right hand of god that's huge we'll talk about that more in a minute set your mind on things above not on things in the earth and we were talking about that a little bit this morning weren't we Janice is doing a great job with this Bible study. But guys, we set, we set our things below all the time. We're always thinking about what's, where's our next meal, what are we going to do, financial, all that different stuff. We should set our minds on things above. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you, right? we got to seek the kingdom. We don't need to worry about the rest. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You died, y'all. If you, if you are in him... You died spiritually and were raised with Christ. We know this is speaking spiritually because you do not write letters to dead people. Right? Paul was not on some sort of an acid trip thinking this will be fun. We'll send us to the graveyard. He was sitting here saying, listen, y'all died with Christ and you were raised with him. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Which is what members? You're looking at it. Put to death does not mean kill yourself. It means crucify it. That's the sanctification process. That is, that is we are beginning to act and sound more and more like Jesus every day. And he goes into this stuff, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So now he's saying, listen, you guys died with Christ, were raised with Christ, and you were once this, but you're no longer that. Does that mean that none of this stuff ever became a temptation for them? That they never fell in some sort of a sin? Of course they did, but they are the new man. They are forgiven. They can move on from that. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Y'all, you know where most of these show up is on the golf course. Right? We get angry and we got to watch your mouth because that stupid white ball doesn't do what it's told. Right, Paul? You know. He's with me every day. When I tee off, we always want to take my tee shot. It goes a little farther than Paul's. The problem is, we don't know which city it's going to land in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been times where it's landed behind me. I don't even know how you do that, but I have done it. Anyway. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So those are the deeds of the old man. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. The new man is created in the image of God. He created it. He should be the one that controls it. So we are the one who puts off the old man, but we are created in this new man, this image of Christ. Y'all with me so far? Okay, let's look at the other one we read several times 1 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 12, again, Paul speaking here. We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And we all know people like that, right? For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are sound-minded, mind, is for you. The love of Christ compels us. I love that. It's because of the love of Christ. We are forced to do this. We have no choice. It's like it's within us. We have to do this because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Who's the one? It's Christ, right? So if He died for all, then all died who were in Him. But he, And He died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died from them, for them and arose again. Who should we live for? Christ we got to set our minds on things above in order to do that. But we should live for Him. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't, I don't care what your social status is. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't regard you based off that. I regard you based on how Christ sees you, the new man. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Why do they say that? Because they actually knew Christ when He's walking on the earth. Therefore, I love this, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, if you are in Christ, right? It doesn't mean you are. Churches around this country are filled with people who are not in Christ today. They might feel good about themselves. They may think, I'm a good person. I've done good deeds. I give to the church. That does not make you right with God. It's if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So how did he do it? It's through Jesus, through the veil of his flesh. When it was torn, when he said, it is finished, we have now been reconciled to God. It is now possible for us to stand in the presence of God. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's not imputing their trespasses to them. Why not? Because he imputed them to Christ. He took our punishment and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now, because of this, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, through me and you, he is pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Whose behalf? Christ, because He desires that none should perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge and have everlasting life. It is on His behalf. Not your behalf, not my behalf. It's on His behalf. He died for the entire world knowing that many are going to reject Him. But that's not what He wants. It's what He wants is all to come and know Him. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And how do we do it? It's in Him. That's the key to everything, y'all. It's in Him, not in church, right? It's not in some religious practice, some exercise. It's not in spiritual things or the way that we maybe look at stuff. It's not It's not in reading your Bible, right? The answers are, and that's a very good thing, but if you just sit down, if you have somebody who's an unbeliever and they read their Bible, does that make them saved? No. One of the leading New Testament scholars today is a man named Bart Ehrman. He knows more about the Bible than you and me and everybody in this room combined. And guess what? He doesn't believe it. He believes the stories of many of them. He'll tell you most of the New Testament is actual historical fact. He can go through and trace it, but he rejects Jesus as the Messiah. How sad is that? He was trained by the greatest New Testament scholar in our era who passed away a few years ago who was a believer. What's missing you can read all you want. If you don't mix it with faith, it's all for naught. We gotta believe. You see, when it says that the world, we believe in faith that the worlds were created out of nothing. Why do we believe that in faith? Because we weren't there to see it. Has to be in we're taking somebody else's word for it. I mean, if we didn't have the Bible, how would we know the world came into existence? Well, we can make some speculation, but the Bible's very clear. It's the inspired word of God. We know that it's true, but we are putting that, our faith in these eyewitnesses. How do we know that Jesus was raised from the dead? Because the Bible tells us. Well, what are we putting our faith in? The writings of the gospel authors. Because we weren't there to see it. Right? I mean, think about this. When you had kids, and you tell them to go clean their room, right? And they come back five minutes later. and say, it's all clean. Right. Right. So you would have to take their word on faith in order to, unless you get up and go see it, which would be foolishness, right? Because why? It might appear clean on the outside. Look under the bed, right? Guys, you see, this is the thing we have to understand. It's because we are in him that we are made righteous. And you know what's beautiful about that? It's because none of us can brag about it. Like, think about that for a minute. You know, there are people, I was I was telling, I don't know who I was talking to this week about it, but it was remember how back into the day where offering buckets got passed, and, and sometimes they still do, but most people have kind of gone into the thing where it sits in the back whatever, and and it was like when we would count the offering, every $1 bill was kind of crumbled up and tossed in there, but every $100 bill was laid out flat and nice and neat. Is that a coincidence? Probably not. Why? Because some people's motives aren't right. You know, they will be sitting there like, oh, I've... I, Going to just put this in the offering bucket. You know, I mean they're looking around to see who's watching, right? Because it's not a matter of how much you give, it's just a matter of the heart. But but it's if we could brag about this as if we had some part that we played in it, then it would defeat the purpose. Because that's what's beautiful about this. And the only one that did any work for us is Jesus, right? I mean, some of us might have giftings in other areas, and and some of us might be able to sing, and some of us might not. And some of us might be able to preach, and some of us might not. Some of us might have an ability to teach, some might not. Some people have a gift of generosity, and some maybe not so much. Some people can walk into a, a grocery store and have seven conversations before they pick up their milk because they're just really good at talking to people. And other people, not so much. Why? They're quiet and shy, and I'm on a mission. I'm getting the milk. Don't bug me. Right? So, so, I mean, there's all these different giftings, but none of that has to do with us being in Him. We're in Him because of Him. It's a beautiful thing, and, and that's the thing. So what happens after that? Well, we went through that list of how, because we're saved by grace through faith, our simple belief in His work, then we are made whole. And then we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, giving us the power that we need to walk on this earth to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and all the other things that go with this. But when he says that we are ambassadors, that implies an authority. And we have that authority. How do we know that? Well, we see it through Scripture that Jesus has given us to us. Look at Matthew chapter 28. This is what he says to the disciples. He's getting ready to to jump ship here. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now pause there. How much authority was he given? It was all of it. Right? Now where at? Heaven and earth. What's left? Not much. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age Amen, that's the end of the letter. It's the last thing that Matthew wrote down. But he says, all authority has been given to me, now you go. What's he telling them? Hey, guess what? I'm the head, you're the body. You're my hands, you're my feet. You're my ambassadors, you're my representative. All the authority has been given to me, I give it to you. Go and do something with it. But That's not what we see in the body of Christ. We're timid. You know how many people in today are amazed that when they unlock the door on Sunday morning that people who are unbelievers don't flock in to hear the gospel? They're shocked by that, right? Which is amazing because there ain't a fisherman on this planet who gets in the boat, goes in the water and thinks, hey, why aren't the fish jumping in the boat? It doesn't make any sense, but that's what we think. We do not walk in the authority that Christ has given us, but he says he's given it. It's been given to him. He's given to us. Now, where to go? Now, Hebrews 10. Now, Brian read this last week, but it's so good. I want to read this again. Remember, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. It is making a distinction between the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant that is imputed to us by Jesus, the one made between the Father and the Son. And he's going through a lot of the different things. And it can get confusing if you don't know the Old Testament, some of the rules and stuff. But the whole context of Hebrews is the entire book of Hebrews. You can't just isolate stuff. But look at verse 11. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that being Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Who's being sanctified? Us. Have we been perfected? Yeah. Forever. In him, spiritually. Not, and I'm not talking about how we act sometimes. But when the priest, the high priest, sits down, that means he's done. What more does Jesus need to do? Nothing. He's already done it. The sacrifice has been made, the price has been paid. He took our punishment on our behalf. As Brian said, and I thought it was a great point last week, you notice in the tabernacle there is no chair because they're were a little. they like little ants. You ever had an ant farm? You watch them think they're always moving, they're always doing something. That's what those priests were doing. They were constantly in and out making sacrifice. I mean, think about it. Every individual and family had to come and bring sacrifice constantly. Like, there's a fun job for you. Sign me up. And yet, they were constantly working. Here's Jesus sitting at the right hand of God saying, hey, I'm done. Because one sacrifice was needed to be made. And that was it. And so now, because of that, we are the righteousness of God in Him. So now in Colossians 2, we see this. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is he talking about here? Remember, the Mosaic Covenant, the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Right? Under the Abrahamic Covenant as well. It was the sign that you were circumcised, therefore you were underneath of that. But even Moses said, listen, y'all need to circumcise your heart. Because while you've done the things he's told you to do, your heart is far from God. And so he's saying, listen, put off the body of sins in the flesh. You've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It is by Christ that you're in this covenant. Buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So how did it happen? It's through him. That's it. It's always through Him. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped away the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having it nailed to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, You guys, we'll talk about more next week on that specifically. But the handwriting of requirements, what are they? Underneath the Roman law, that when you you were punished to death, punished to prison, whatever, they would write down what you had done wrong and how long your sentence was. And whatever that was held for you, you held on to it. And at the time that the sentence was complete, the payment had been made in full, whatever the requirements were, that they would sign off on that. And then they would have to carry that with them always because if they got picked up and didn't have that, they would throw them back in prison saying that, no, you did not fulfill your sentence. All they had to do was show them that piece of paper. The handwriting of requirements against us, which meant death because sin is what brings death. We were sinful, has been paid by Christ, It has been fulfilled. When he said it is finished, that's what he's talking about. Tetelestai, he nailed it to the cross. And when he did that, He disarmed all principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them. We'll talk about that more next week. But any time a battle went on and they took over a nation, a kingdom, whatever it would be, they would march the the king and all the leaders in front of them, making a public spectacle of them, showing that we are in charge now. You see, he did that to the enemy. Who's in charge now? Jesus is. And as a result of that, you and I are. Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 will give you an idea of where we're going in this portion of it. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You see that trend? That power, that resurrection is the key for us to know the power of God. It's everything. But he didn't just raise him from the dead. What did he do next? He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You guys, the right hand of the king was a place of authority. You sit there, you're good. You remember the disciples, they were talking about, talking to Jesus Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And when you do it, can I sit on your right? Or can I sit on your left? Because listen, right's preferred, but left's pretty good. I'll sit over there. I'm not too picky. He sat him at the right hand. This is a place of authority. We see in other places he's seated on his father's throne because his throne's coming. But look what happens. He seated him at the right hand of his father in the heavenly places. So we know where this is. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Again, what's left? Nothing. He is seated above them, given authority over them. We see this time and time again, that he is far above all principality. The idea that everything is underneath the authority of Jesus. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Who's the church? The body of Christ, the ecclesia. That's the assembly of the church. It's not church. We don't go to church. We are the church this building happens to be where the church meets we could meet anywhere we could be outside right now wouldn't that be fantastic <laughs> so he was gave him to be head over all things to the church which is what his body and it's the fullness of him who fills all and all so if he's the head where's he at seated at the right hand of the Father where's his body in the heavenly places seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, we're there with Him, spiritually speaking. That means that authority that the Father has given to Him has been given to us, because we are His body. You don't have this head floating around. He's not decapitated. His body is connected with it. The authority flows through that. That is why we compel you on Christ's behalf. How can we say that? Because we're connected to Him. We know the mind of Christ because we have His Word. We know exactly what he wants. He wants all to come to the saving knowledge. The ministry of reconciliation that we've given to go in all the world and preach the gospel. How can we do that? Because we are connected to him. We are his body. We are seated at the right hand of the Father. Look at what chapter 2 verse 1 says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Not physically dead, spiritually dead in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit who makes, uh, or who now works in the sons of disobedience. According to that is how you were. Who is Jesus above now? All of that. All authority has been given to him among whom also we are conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. That's who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, dead in what? In trespasses, in sins, made us alive together with Christ. Because by grace... You've been saved. And what did He do? He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We'll pause there. So where are we seated? The right hand of the Father. The place of authority. That means that if all things, every name that is named is under Jesus' feet, who's His feet? We are! It's the authority. Are you guys following me? Like, you need to understand this. Because we are not just to walk around as as some sort of pious religious thing. We walk around with the authority of the believer. Have you ever met a cop who wasn't confident? Because I haven't. He pulls me over going 95 and a 60. And says, you know how fast you were going? And I'm like, well... I mean, I do have a speedometer right in front of me. I'm pretty sure I know how fast I'm going. And then what do they do? They extend their car for 20 minutes and, as if I wasn't in a hurry, and that was why I was going 95 miles an hour in the first place. But they want, there's no, they're not wondering like, oh, is, is it all right if I write you? You're going a little fast. No, they walk up, name, registration, license, all that stuff. They don't care. Why? They have an authority. They know they're in the right, and you're in the wrong. Don't go that fast. It's not worth it. You see, this is that authority that you see. We have that authority. We should be so confident as the body of Christ that nothing should shake us. We shouldn't be surprised by anything. I don't care what it is. We should walk around of authority over spiritual things, not people. We don't reign over people. We reign over the principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark age. So then in verse 8 it says, By grace you have been saved, it's through faith, and it's not of yourself. We've been saved by his word. It is the gift of God, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we could brag if we had something to do it. For we are his workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not by them, but for them. Which God prepared beforehand that should walk in them. Therefore, so because of all of this, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that would be you and me, because we're not Jews, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That's the the Jews versus everybody else. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What's the trend? How are we brought near? The blood of Christ. Everything is revolving around him. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple and the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. But everything is through him, all of it. It's this positioning. It's all about Him. It has everything to do with Him. That is why we should be confident. That is why we should walk as rulers and reigners in this earth. It's because Jesus has put everything under His feet through His work. And we are His body seated at the right hand of God. That means that when we see something going on that shouldn't be, we need to take authority over it. Whose authority is it? It's His given to us. So it's not based off of us. Right? So when we pray for the sick, what are we doing? Being obedient to pray for the sick. But well, who's doing the work? It's Him. So why are we worried about it? I hope this works. Well, we have authority over it. So it should work. Right? I mean, this is the things that we've got to understand. We've got to start ruling and reigning for Christ on His behalf. We've got to start doing the things of God in order to be the body of God and really be fitting to be called the body of Christ. There was a song several years ago that is like, if we are the body, why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his feet going? Why aren't his words healing? I mean, it was a great song, and it's a very good point. It's if we are the body, and we are the body, why aren't we doing the things of God? Why are we not walking around with the authority that God has given us? We're so timid today. We kind of hide in the corner and we wait and we're like, I hope somebody does something about that. Man, there have been men and women through the years that have known the authority that God has given them and have done mighty works in this world. I heard guys just the other day talking about Catherine Kuhlman as an example. Those of you may not know who she was, she was a healing evangelist. She died back in the 80s, I think, 90s, I don't remember when she died. But, I mean, she had verifiable miracles. And one of the guys that was there is a person who believes that God could heal possibly. But he was kind of a skeptic and he was sitting up in the balcony and um, Catherine Coleman was doing, he said, you know, he said, be truthful, I was kind of bored. She wasn't, you know, an eloquent speaker. She kind of was eloquent, but you know, it was, if you're a guy that wants to sit there and just learn stuff, she wasn't the one you wanted to listen to, but man, she walked into authority and she'd be sitting there and she would start calling out people saying, you know, God's healing this and God's healing that. And she reached up and she pointed at the balcony and said, there's a woman up there who has varicose veins on her legs, check them now, God just healed them. That woman happened to be sitting directly behind this guy. She reaches down, grabs her legs, and starts screaming. Because apparently, these were pretty bad. But how did she know that? She's in tune with the Spirit of God. She's taking authority over the works of the devil. Jesus came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what 1 John tells us. Now look at Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. So who's the one who sanctifies? Jesus, Holy Spirit, if you want to get technical. And those who are being sanctified are who? That's all of us. And it says we're one. We're one with him. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. These are old Old Testament quotes. Verse 14. Inasmuch as much then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of the death. So who is that? That's the devil. And release those. Who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Why were people afraid to die? Because they didn't know where they were going. Should we be afraid of death? No. Who has the authority over death? Jesus. He destroyed him who had the power of death. And it tells us exactly who him was. We don't have to guess. It tells us who it was. You see, I want to show one more verse. And I want you to see this. I'm going to read this out of the classic Amplified. This is an older version of the Amplified Bible, but Romans 5, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse and offense, death reigned th- through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, his unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness putting them into the right standing with him- Himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Reign as kings. Kings reign, right? I mean, think about this, guys. Just put this into something we can understand, because we didn't grow up in a time where we've got kings and all that other stuff. You guys know about North Korea, Kim Jong-un, right? His whole country's starving. Apparently, he's not. He's a hair on the fluffy side. I I read something the other day where he, uh, when he wants Italian food, he flies people over to pick him up Italian food, because that's what he wants. He's reigning as a king. His people are under complete subject to him. Good and a bad. Every decision he makes. If we're to reign as kings in life through Jesus, that means that we have an authority to do so. I'm wanting you guys, I'm just trying to lay this foundation for this. Like, we need to understand this. The first thing we had to catch is that we are born again, and when that, we are in him. It's in him. Like, like we, 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 It's all through his works. There's no other way to it. There is no other way to salvation except through Jesus and what he did. And the proof of that is through the resurrection. That shows the power of God unto salvation. And so we have to get that, first of all. And really, then we went into this whole baptism in the Holy Spirit, understanding this, that we need the power of God in our life. But that power of God is for one purpose. And what is that? It's not for you, and it's not necessarily for me. It's for those who are around it who are still subject to death and in bondage, and for fear of death, are in bondage. But you and I aren't that. Because we are seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus as his body. Therefore, we should reign in this life as kings over the principalities and the spiritual darkness of this age. The things that are above those who are still lost. But yet, because of what Jesus did, we can show them a new and better way. Are you guys following what I'm saying? Like, I need you to get this because we have to understand this going forward. It is the power of God to salvation. It's not the power of words. It's not, it's not some philosophical thing. It's not even necessarily reading your Bible, although you can find it there. But if you don't believe what you're reading, it does you no good. It's that we've got to reign as rulers over this life. We're his feet. We're his hands. It's time the body of Christ gets active and we stand in the authority that God has given us. You guys with me so far? Guys, as we go through this, I'd encourage you to go home Start reading these verses, start reading them, getting it in your minds like, wait wait a minute, I don't have to be sick because I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. If sickness is nothing but slow death and Jesus defeated death, then I don't need to be sick. Right? And if my neighbor's the same way, then I can go over there with the authority that Christ has given me. I'm not going on my behalf, I'm compelling you on Christ's behalf. See, we've got to get this. We have got to start and meditate on these things, and we've got to start thinking about these things and understanding where we are and who we are in Christ. And the key is in Christ. It's in Him.